Hey everybody, Seamus coming in before the episode here. Unfortunately, this episode does have a little bit of audio issue. Our conversation is still understandable and perceivable, but uh, not quite recording as we would have liked. However, hope you enjoy. Take care. And we are back with another episode of Fight or Flight. I'm Seamus. As always, I'm here with my buddy, Bird. Bird, how are you doing? Pretty good. Uh, just so everybody knows, I'm wearing uh, the jersey of my good uh, favorite players, Giannis and Jokic, right now. Uh, and Seamus, do you like this jersey I'm wearing here? Yeah, you know, it's, um, it's the Cancun version, I believe. The Cancun variety. One of a kind. Yep. It's my favorite Hawaiian t-shirt. That's for sure. You know, it was, it was a good run. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit later, but um, before we dive into, to our takes bird, anything else going on with you? Anything you want to talk about? I mean, speaking of people surviving, uh, I've been digging into uh, your neck of the woods. I know you're a humongous survivor fan, and I've been watching uh a couple seasons of Survivor, um, and we've been debating about this, I guess, a little bit as well, uh, off camera a lot. Uh, it's honestly becoming one of the best uh, and most like tense moments of our friendship. I think. Yeah, I don't. I just don't know what to say. I just don't agree with how you view the game. If any of our listeners have not watched the show Survivor, and you have time to kill, I'd recommend it. It's a good time. A lot of fun strategy, a lot of fun challenges, a lot of fun drama. And, uh, you know, it's been going on to season 42 currently. Finale is actually tomorrow. Um, And, uh, you know, there's a reason. It's been one of the longest lasting shows on television. So would recommend checking it out. But Bird, you've recently started, which, um, you know, having an entry into the show at this point in its history, how has that been for you? I mean, really interesting because I think the way I came in was very different from other people as I was watching other people react to it. And I also didn't start at like season one. I, I jumped in at, I believe, season 18 and then season 13. So for those who are aware, season 19 is a very infamous episode as it introduced the most uh, famous villains of the series with Russell. And then season 13 had some out-of-pocket, very interesting decisions made by the producers and then... Uh, players that i really like that Seamus does not seem to respect as the same level yeah we just value different things i value the social strategic side of things you value the challenges and you know somewhat maybe you know who's to say who's right except for the jury voting for the winner at the end of the season so you know we'll let we'll let their their voices loom larger than ours on that topic Fair enough. Um, but speaking of voices, uh, do we want to maybe voice our thoughts on, I know we are now in the conference final stages, but I wouldn't mind saying a few words about some of our fallen brethren, if that's okay, from the uh, semifinals, if that's okay. Yeah, this is the uh, 
you know, Hunger Games canon equivalent of uh, some of the fallen teams. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and of course, no one's going to be surprised that one of the first people I want to talk about is Giannis. Uh, so I think it's one thing to uh, say that this um, team was not as able to get to the final, of course, this year and try to, you know, do a repeat. But I think it's something to commend how incredible Giannis was in this playoffs and proved despite him not making it, I think as far, I think he's still convincingly the best player in the world. Giannis had an offensive load of 64 in the conference semifinals with Drew Holiday at 46. So really it was these two players when no one else was there that were really dragging this team as far as they were against a very formidable Celtics team that we'll be talking about later in this episode. Uh, also, if you want a comparison for uh, what 64 means in terms of offensive load, uh, Luca had a offensive load of 64 uh, in the in his final conference uh, against the Suns and had a 70 against the Clippers last year. He is uh, also Giannis. I mean, second in creating shots for others, only behind Luca, and he has developed some of uh, really heavy floor raising abilities that I don't think he always used to have in the past. Uh, but the lack of any other role players uh, really stepping up, I think, is what killed him. He had a plus 5.6 per 100 possessions with Giannis on board and a minus 35 with him on the bench. Uh, also something, I guess, to also commend for both him and Luca. Uh, Luca is also now the third player with Giannis being the second to average 30 points, 10 rebounds, and five assists through their first 10 games of a postseason. So I think that's definitely something to commend as well. So, Bird, bring it large you know, picture here, big picture. What do you think this means for Giannis? Um, you know, as we go into next year and evaluate what the Bucks chances are. Well, I think the thing to commend that everybody was always mentioning too, was how formidable that team was when they had the big three, their record was so great with the big three. However, though, when it wasn't that big three, they were as not great. I think as like a 50 percentage kind of win team, uh, or not 50 win team, but like, sorry, a 50, 50, like a 500 uh, team. team. Sure. So therefore there we go. That's the word I'm looking for. My apologies though. I do think Giannis though, still shows that his dominance on both ends of the court was just so incredible. We were seeing incredible performances. Uh, I, I guess the real, the real kicker is that um, you have so many players that aren't stepping up offensively. One of the big uh, talking points lately was PJ Tucker, who, is definitely having a renaissance again right now. Uh, he had a different, like a defensive renaissance last year and was having an offensive one. Though I do want us to keep in perspective that I don't think keeping PJ Tucker would have changed the uh, score of this series. And it would have, I don't think this would have tilted it in the Bucks' favor, unfortunately, uh, as he's not quite the uh, volume offensive score that the Bucks needed because so many of these players who you even mentioned as uh, Bobby Portis being one of them that you thought, hey, could that really have a legacy change? They not do that role that many of them depend on being that uh, volume offensive sco uh, scoring power that they needed for their role players. So going into next year, do you think that you expect similar production from Drew Holiday? Um, you expect similar production from Chris Middleton? Or do you think that age might start to catch up with the core of this Bucks team as it's constructed right now. Giannis is not that old. Um, I mean, he still has his absolute peak. I still say like six to eight years. So I'm not saying that about Giannis at all. 
Drew Holiday's a little bit older, but also uh, I think he's still at the peak of his defensive powers after that play that we saw against um, Marcus Smart. Uh, that was incredible in game five. I think it's a real bummer as a Bucks fan to watch one of the best games of basketball I've ever seen in game five, just being meant meaning nothing after game six and seven. But uh, I think he also showed that he can step up. He may not be as uh, efficient, but he can definitely do a decent enough job in terms of a point guard-esque role. But I think we definitely need Chris Middleton. And I'm not saying uh, an injury like he has now is meaning that he's going to have this problem for going forward. Uh, I mean, the Bucks haven't really had a whole lot of um, injury issues that have destroyed them as much in the past. Last year, we were able to uh, get through it while so many other teams were not able to do so. I guess this year it caught up with us, but I don't think it'll be as much of a problem going forward. But who knows? I could be doing some wishful thinking, I guess. It really just feels like the Bucks are going to need to find more three-point shooting in some way, shape, or form. Because even with Middleton, they, I mean, they just got ran off the floor in game seven. It was, you know, just every single possession, the Celtics were putting up a three, getting a board, putting up another three, and the Bucks just couldn't get a, even a shot. And, you know, obviously that's at end of a long series. Um, you know, there's, there's outstanding factors more than just the shooting ability itself of the players. But I mean, I just don't see, I don't see there without another, I think killer type mentality scorer on the team. I'm not sure that they're going to be able to progress past a second round maybe conference finals teams moving forward, even with wow. Giannis. So your, your lack of respect for the Bucks has just shrunk even more. Is it just that you just don't think that they can compete with the rest of the East now anymore? I definitely don't think that's the case because who, who is their competition really? I, we both, I think, agree that they could beat the Heat. And uh, I thought we were both also ranking them above uh, Philadelphia, especially after the performance we were seeing from uh, – James Harden. Uh, and then, I mean, who else am I trying to think of in the East that they'd compete with? I'm not, I can't really think of anybody that comes to mind. So I'm sorry. I, I don't think that this means that they're out of it. Uh, they have one of the best players of all time on their team. Uh, I obviously will see how much of a influence it can be, but I don't think that's ever going to be able to throw you out of it because teams who live or die by the three uh, we definitely see currently as well in the series right now with the Celtics and uh, the Heat where they've been all blowout either way. I don't think it that anybody's done. It can be really inconsistent is all I'm saying. I think my point is that I don't see the Bucks core improving without a pretty significant change this offseason. Whereas I see the Celtics core continuing to grow because they do have a younger team. Um, I see the Nets Bring, putting it all together next year um, more than they were able to this year. And, you know, I think so, there's so a you good... think Ben Simmons is going to be an MVP level player who is going to just immediately. When did I say change that, that team from a first round sweep to tell you me, what, tell me when I said more that Ben by them Simmons the is going to turn into an MVP level player. Well, with your, the way you're phrasing it now, it makes it sound like you think that they would be even more competitive than the Bucks, is all I'm saying. And well, I, I think, think they the certainly case. could be. And, you know, Vegas thought so going into this offseason for good reason. You know, they have high-level talent. KD is as talented as Giannis. So whether or not Giannis is in his prime right now more than KD is, that's true. 
But when you look at the talent of those two top level stars, those are two of the top five stars in the NBA. Then you take, again, we've had the previous argument about Kyrie versus Middleton, you know, whether or not Simmons is ever able to play it at the level that he was, you know, previously again, remains to be seen. But if I'm saying there's a chance that he returns to a solid starter form with, you know, an off season of recovery, if that does happen, you know, the, the nets are in contention that East. I don't think it's a cakewalk for the bucks is all I'm saying. And I see other teams having upward trajectory, upward potential, more so than I see this current Bucks roster having that upward potential for improvement going into next year. I agree with some of your points, I guess. Um, I do agree with a lot of their upward trajectory for a lot of these teams. I, I guess I such a downward hill that you are seeing, I guess, with uh, the Bucks. It'll really come down to, I guess, the kind of moves that they make in the offseason in terms of their uh, – role players or if those role players are able to maybe step up and not shake and uh, shrink, sorry, is the word I'm looking for uh, as much in this next postseason, or also if uh, what kind of player we see Chris Middleton to be as he is, I believe the oldest of the big three, um, what kind of player he's going to come back to be. uh, That's going to be really the case. And I'm not going to, I guess, make a full assumption on them being downhill when I haven't seen him play yet after his injury. Fair enough. Um, let's hop over to some of the, our other uh, losing teams this last series. So we had the Bucks. Let's stick in the East and go over to the Sixers. Um, just never quite gelled with Embiid and Harden. What are you? What are you doing if you're uh, Daryl Morey? What are you trying to bank on? Do you think that you still have a chance with this core of Harden and Embiid? What are you? What would your thoughts be, Bird? I'm not signing Harden. Um, I don't know if I know that they're kind of having their things tied a little bit in certain situations with the way contracts work. Uh, however, though, I think his shrinking has been consistent for most of his uh, in the in moments that it matters. And this was one of the worst, uh, especially when you have your number one player and your star being such an injury prone player. Uh, Joel Embiid's great and uh, definitely a top maybe five player in the league. But when you can't uh, always count on this man to get through an entire playoff run without having some type of injury or having to sit out for at least a game or two, you need to have a good number two who you know can maybe get you through those games. And James Harden has proved proven again and again that he's not that guy. But we see a lot of young talent rising up. I don't know if Maxi can really be number two. So we'll see. Uh, so I think the you have you can't really keep Harden because I don't think he's worth the money. But what other other option you have is the tricky thing, I guess. Yeah. And there's not really any other player you're going to get right now. So I think you have to run it back and just hope that Maxi can step up and become a big three, but you're right. I I'm skeptical of uh, Harden's ability and, and his playoff record as well, but you know, Joel Embiid, maybe he takes an even bigger, you know, another step next year and, and he can turn into, um, you know, obviously he was an MVP candidate this year. He can be the MVP next year. Maybe that's, maybe that's within his, his ability. And, um, you know, we've seen just how far um, one dominant player can get you with uh, Luca and the Mavs right now. So, um, you know, it's within the realm of possibility, I think, but I have some questions and, and I'm sure they're trying to answer them themselves right now. 
What do you think about um, hopping over to uh, the Memphis Grizzlies? Tough series against the Warriors. Um, you know, showed a lot of, uh, you know, to use the old Grizzlies term, grit this uh, this postseason, um, you know, in, in two tough series. John Morant obviously has solidified himself as a star in the league. How are you feeling as a Grizzlies um, fan if you were uh, moving forward after this series loss? It's definitely one of those teams that you mentioned having an upward trajectory, only getting possibly better. Um, It is really odd, though, uh, how that team sometimes always seems to look better in some ways as a cohesive whole without John Morant. I know that John Morant's an incredible player and he makes any team better, and that's not what I'm saying. but it's got to mean something either in terms of whether that's team chemistry or maybe role that you don't want it to be when that your uh, star going out somehow makes your team having more success. It's just very odd. And it's something I'd like to look closer at too this coming season. Yeah. And it's, I mean, what, what do you do about that? Right. It's like, you know, part of that is probably because you're getting more, your bench is stronger than other teams, but also the lineups that I think I've, I've shown and I, I don't have the stats in front of me right now, but you know, some of their starting type lineups minus jaw have been, um, you know, as productive as any of their lineups. So the Grizzlies, I think you, you just have to can hope that it continues to get more cohesive. They might be losing Tyus Jones this off season. That'll be a big loss for them as he was a big part of their, um, bench unit specifically. And, um, you know, it has a tendency for clutch shots as, uh, Badger fans may know. And, and many, uh, you know, Wolves fans found out this, uh, this off season as well, but, um, you know, there's nothing really, I think that the Grizzlies need to change. It's just, um, continuing to develop, you know, their players. And, uh, you know, you hope that Jaron Jackson jr. I think really takes, um, a step to start him next year as well. I just like something though about that one infamous blowout loss though. So coach Brown was the interim coach for the Warriors during that 30 point blowout loss. And he's the confirmed uh, coach next year for the Kings. So I just like to comment on how, even when the Kings aren't playing, they're taking L's because that can't look good for your next season. uh, uh, The Kings, that's for sure. So. Yeah, that that's a tough time, tough time for the Kings as, as it really always is a tough time for the Kings. And uh, last team, which is maybe the most interesting, Phoenix loses. And, um, you know, they lose two in seven games. So I clearly, you know, took it to the wire here, but had one of the worst game seven performances we've ever seen to a team that really only has one star. Uh, If you're Phoenix, how do you, I mean, this is the type of loss that I think sets a franchise back years, honestly. You know, you're losing Aiton, most likely this offseason. Seems like Monty Williams, a quote came out today, that he is not a fan of Aiton's work ethic, those types of things. And Aiton obviously is pretty disenfranchised for not getting a max contract. Chris Paul's only getting older, and he has this stigma around him as he can't get it done in the playoffs. And then, you know, you're left with Devin Booker, who also kind of had his own disappearing act. And, I mean, Phoenix on paper this offseason seemed primed to just run through the West, but I mean they might have been a little bit there's a lot more holes than we had uh, originally anticipated. 
Yeah, this was way more of a collapse than what you were describing with the Bucks. I think, easy, because a lot of teams were saying this was the easy pick, you included, for the West. Though, let's remember, I did not pick them. But uh, something to note that a lot of uh, one thing that's also very often said, and I'd like to reiterate here, is over the course of seven-game series, Luka Doncic uh, outscored the fourth-place MVP uh, candidate with Devin Booker with 218 to 164 points. Out rebounded a seven foot DeAndre Ayton, 69 57. Out assisted Chris uh, Chris Paul or point god Paul, 49 to 40. And he also had more steals than defensive player of the year runner up, Mikhail Bridges, 15 to 9. So, I mean, damn, it's just a decimation of all those stars right there. So it's not just a singular collapse like you were mentioning, it is an entire team collapse. I love the quote from Luca where he said, yeah, I absolutely knew I had as many points as them, you know, during the first quarter. <laughs> and they were like, Oh, did you have an idea of what, how many you had? Did you know that you were matching the team as a whole. And it was, he was like, yeah, yeah, I knew, which is just so badass for a player to be controlling a series in a game and just have that much presence within it. Um, you don't see that. I mean, I'm sure it happens more often than we realize, but to embrace it like that post game is was just a lot of fun um well bird you mentioned I do want to also oh, give, go ahead go ahead sorry I, I also just want to give some credit to to not just it being a collapse but also uh the coaching and the amount of adjustments that were be, uh, able to be made um uh, one thing to note about jason kidd as well was just uh the amount of adjustments he was able to make over that series is also something to really rec- uh recognize so for example the mavs had a defensive rating of 140 the 21 point differential for those first two games, but we're able to drop it to 101 in the last five games. That's a pretty drastic change. And um, a lot of people, I, I think, including my, did not think very highly of Jason Kidd when he left Milwaukee. I think definitely learned some things uh, between his time there and to what he is now in terms of being uh, an adept coach at making adjustments to when necessary. Always comes back to the Bucks propaganda one way or another. <laughs> that's actually a dig a little bit by the way on the buck so well would you rather have kid or boot or bud i'm not blaming fully the loss on bud um it's really tough i think i'm happy with the point i'm at now but i i think any bucks fan will definitely say that uh bud or every, any bucks fans would say bud does not always put us in the best situations to win with some of his matchup selections and his lineups but I, I don't think uh, I, in the weeds question that I don't know if I have time or the energy to get into right now. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, well, Bert, just a little bit ago, you mentioned our playoff bet. So this is probably a good time to do a little um, recap of where we're at. So last time where we left off, I was at 11 points and you were at nine points going into the second round here. Again, we were doing, one point for a correct um, pick in general, as in just the correct winner in the first round. Mm-hmm. And then two points, and basically an extra point if you had exactly predicted the um, number of games they would win in. For round two, you get two points if you correctly predict the winner, an extra point if you do the number of games. And then three would be the championship um, series, and then four uh, points for the correct finals winner. So where that brings us right now, you had picked... Phoenix and six. I had picked Phoenix and five. Both of us were wrong. We both get zero points for that. 
you had picked Golden State in four. I had picked Golden State in five. They ended up winning in six, so we both got two points for that. You had picked Miami in five. I had picked Philadelphia in seven. Miami won in six. You get two over me there, but I get them back picking Boston in six. You picked Milwaukee in six. So none of us predicted, neither of us rather, had predicted the number of games correctly. Um, But we both got two series winners correct, which leaves us only with your Golden State left, who you had in the championship losing, however. And I have Boston left, who had winning the championship. And let's also acknowledge that uh, the series currently uh, for the Warriors is 3-0 Warriors. So it is very, very likely with almost a 90, well, there's a hundred percent chance in the, uh, in hit when we look back in history, but probability wise, you know, it's, or it's very still weighted towards the warriors. So that's very likely to also give me two points right there. So as you mentioned, two points, I am still up two points, maintaining the lead, um, after the first round with only Boston and golden state as scorers left. All that I need is for Boston to win this series. And then I lock up the win. If Boston loses and presumably golden state continues on to win, you win the bet. And um, that's really all it comes down to just Boston or golden state. If Boston and golden state both win, then I win as well. um, As you did not have golden state winning the finals and could get no more points for that. So basically go Boston. Is it is the, a very uh, the close series, though. Yeah, and hey, you and never on, know. And on, what if what if Golden State lost and like Boston lost, and then Golden State went on like a four game losing streak, and you had to oh just witness <laughs> the pain slowly? It would be unfortunate. Um, it also would be kind of funny to watch a man who you definitely did not value very highly going into these playoffs uh, with that Jimmy Butler. All. Also seeing if he goes on an absolute tear, though, if I was a total betting man, I think with this matchup as well, if uh, if I did not pick the Bucks to be in this matchup, I would have picked the Celtics, and therefore I would have also continued to pick the Celtics over uh, this heat. So though it would be very much advantageous for myself, I am not expecting uh, the heat to pull this out. Even though they are making an incredibly interesting series, I think one thing that people are always continually bring up is uh, the amount of dominance the Celtics have over the majority of the quarters and just having, I believe two quarter collapses in this entire series by Celtics uh, that the heat were able to take advantage of. It's true. Yeah. That would be, that would be brutal though. If uh, Jimmy Butler is the reason that I have to get a Jimmy Butler Jersey would not be happy about that. Um, That'd well, be fitting, as, though. Very as, fitting. As we speak, just, just to keep it on your radar, the Mavericks are up 45 to 33. So I'm not saying it's locked up yet for Golden State. Luca, never count out Luca. My only, uh, I, I would not be super upset about seeing uh, Luca take a, a W here because I mean, the man is definitely somebody who I'd love to root for. The only thing that makes me somewhat want this to be a sweep, and it pains me to say it, is because I know there are so many Jokic slanderers out there, uh, and you know, you know who I'm talking about. Uh, that I would love to see Jokic take a, a win over the Warriors and Luka not being able to do so. But if it weren't for that, I would be all about uh, uh, the Don having his success. 
we had to get our Jokic mention in there. By the way, real quick around the NBA, we can do it here, Bird. Um, Timberwolves poached the GM from the Nuggets. So that's pretty exciting uh, for all of us Wolves fans. Um, any thoughts on that at all? I think I'd rather what you have to think about that because I'm a little bit iffy because of some of the moves, uh, especially in terms of uh, Michael Porter Jr., I've been a little iffy on in terms of the Nuggets camp. But they have made a lot of also the moves that have brought us into what I believe when we have the big three healthy into contention. So I'm, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I'll take the guy who found Jokic and, and Murray and, and kind of pulled that franchise out of nothingness. So I'm, I'm all right with it. And, you know, the Wolves owners, Mark Laurie and A-Rod, said they wanted to uh, get a top five GM and they got their guy. So uh, we'll see how it works out for us. Um, another around also, the NBA so moment. The Wolves camp. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I just wanted to keep it a little bit on the Timberwolves related topic. Uh, one boy that's definitely been having a little bit of time in the spotlight. Thanks to the way the warriors uh, create their team in terms of everybody get, everybody really gets to shine at some point. Uh, that man being Maple Jordan himself, uh, the ex Timberwolves player. Uh, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on how he's changed uh, what you thought of him as a player in Minnesota and what you think now, I guess, as a player in the Warriors as a Timberwolves fan? Well, I think this has to do with what some of what our conversation is going to be later about what the headlines are. But, um, you know, real quick, I, he's just asked to be a different player than he was in the Timberwolves. If he was on the Timberwolves, he'd still be struggling because we still would be asking him to be the top scoring option. On the Warriors, he can be the third or fourth scoring option on that team. And he can fill a role, which is just what he's more comfortable doing. That's just his personality, his play style. You know, he was hyped as this number one type guy, Maple Jordan, like you said. And um, he wasn't that player. If you look at him from that perspective, he was a bust. And he was, you know, there was nothing more the Wolves could have got out of him when we traded him. That being said, he needed a team like the Warriors. I think, you know, Draymond has talked a lot about culture and organizations and how that changes, you know, affects a player. And I think he's right. And, you know, by no means have the Wolves been a perfect organization and, and deserve a lot of the flack that they get for that. But, um, yeah, I'm excited to see, you know, Wiggins come into his own. You know, there was – he was a laughingstock. Uh, defensively as well. Yeah. Exactly. He was always – had a high potential um, defensively. So, I'm happy for Wiggins. Um, you know, I think this is the player that he is. For He never would have been this on the Wolves. So, all I can do is, is just be happy that he's achieving – you know, some of the potential and having success that, uh, you know, he, he put in a lot of, of years with us that I hope, I hope to see him have. So that's the take. Does it hurt as much, at least now that your team's still successful somewhat without him, or is it still kind of sting a little bit seeing him make this run? Well, I, I don't, it doesn't sting. That's, that's what I was just saying is he is becoming the player that we as Timberwolves fans found out that he was, he, he was not a number one player. He's not, that alpha guy who's going to take over games. I mean, he did have episodes of, you know, he, especially against the Cavs, he always had a little bit of a vendetta. But, you know, by and large, if you're looking at building a team, third or fourth guy, that's what it is. And good for him. You know, Wolves having our success of our own, you know, it's, there's, there's, there's so many what ifs with the Wolves organization that the Wiggins thing is, is honestly low on the list. Um, so I, I'm just happy to see him find the success. All right. Good to know. 
Yeah. Well, so we'll talk a little bit more about um, some of those teams still in contention here in just a little bit. But one more thing I want to run by you here, Bird. Um, we had the NBA draft lottery since we last spoke. Now, you said you're not a big lottery guy. Why is that? Because you haven't followed the team that's been garbage for years? I mean, it's much like uh, with, with the Bucks. I watched a team who's been easily always disappointing with uh, that being the Wisconsin Badgers to uh, a team that continually disappoints. So I will follow them for March Madness. And I followed March Madness a little bit more closely this year. But the amount of names to learn versus NBA, to me, the NBA, you, you kind of know who are the stars. And you can always add in a few every year versus uh, when it comes to the NCAA, you have to new, new learn an entirely new, larger roster every year. And it's almost a little bit overwhelming when you count all the sports there is to watch. So I enjoy watching it. Uh, and I always enjoy me some basketball, but I, I guess I don't give anybody the time of day until I see them play on the NBA court when it comes to basketball. Sorry. No time of day. You can't be concerned. You couldn't be bothered with college players, make some money and then get back to you. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll root for teams, but when it comes to individual players, it takes, it takes something crazy to remember you and notice you. So Who's that, your that is just bird? the way I watch. I, I mentioned already the uh, Wisconsin Badgers. Wisconsin Badgers. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Unf- unfortunately. Well, talking a little bit real quickly about this class, we I'd say this class has a consensus top four. The most highly um, touted prospect for most of the last year has been Chet Holmgren. Um, basically, that is a very contentious one, though, from what I've heard. Yeah, and, and it's, it's become more um, in flux, I would say, about who is going to be uh, the number one pick, but for most of the year, it was considered Chet Holmgren, unreal, just build. He's seven feet tall. He's 190 pounds. He is a defensive help presence that just, I mean, you really can't replicate what he's able to do at like blocking shots and like on the help. He's going to get bullied by, um, you know, bigger centers right away in the league. He needs to gain a lot of weight, but as a prospect, his three-point shooting on the other end too is his ball handling. He's got some serious unicorn qualities that um, if he progresses, he's, he's kind of a boomer bust guy, but if he can fill out and, um, you know, really become a center in the league, maybe rather than what he probably has to start off as a four, he could be a franchise defining type of player. Your other guys that you're so looking at. What- yeah, go ahead. From what I've seen, he's got the body of a KP with uh, the style of like a lesser Jokic. So to me, that's really tricky because just like you described before, I know you said he's got a good ability when it comes to help defense. But to me, I was watching easily like you were describing as well. He was getting just picked apart on the defensive end that he just seemed like a liability. And that'll be even more the case when it comes to just tougher players easily in the NBA. Um, so he has to really just really make up for that kind of defensive liability that would be, which I don't know. That's a lot to ask when uh, a role that he's so successful in being that one number one guy who's just, you know, everything's going around can be kind of tricky when you're not going to be that on probably any team. I guess 
we'll see how he is on the magic with the magic that number one pick. So we'll see if they take him. I mean, again, his, he isn't necessarily, I would say a defensive liability. He's just going to get out muscled really in the interior paint, but his shot blocking and his off ball defense are like really, really, really good. So um, I want to make sure that he's, he's going to be really a game changer on the defensive end of the floor as well. But um, some of the other players that, that you should know about um, Jabari Smith Jr. I think is, is who I would rank as the, the next best player. Um, basically he's kind of your prototypical, you know, wing that you would want in today's NBA, great size, six ten, um, two ten, and, um, you know, just a great shooter, good, you know, perimeter defense, uh, basically just kind of like the whole package, um, whether or not he has any one skill set, it's probably his shooting. Um, but that's kind of he's, he's probably going to be the guy that you can really build around as a wing um that can be your star player other guy is paolo um banchero which um he's also 6'10 but he's a little bit bigger he can do a little bit more of the um kind of you know four um kind of position uh, and uh he's gonna be a little bit more of an interior player um and he really could kind of just guard any position really he's he can go inside outside so i think he's gonna have um a great career as well. Last guy I'll just say real quick is Jaden Ivy number um, four out of those guys, I would say, but he is a guard uh, from Purdue and just like a total downhill type of guard, like a bigger deer and Fox type of situation, a little bit better of a shot, I would say as well. So, um, you know, he could go a long way in, in being a um, team builder, especially when he is potentially going to go to the Kings as well. Muscular guys always seem to have, in my opinion, more success and always seem to be somewhat better picks because even if they're not what you always want on the offensive end, they at least can at least put up a fight compared to other players on the defensive end right away. So it may be trickier to learn those schemes and stuff, but if you're at least tougher and bigger, it's a lot easier to be able to put up that fight against the tougher and bigger guys in the NBA. So uh, those are some things to note, in my opinion. And that number two guy that you mentioned, Jabari, uh, somebody too who I have heard of and also if I had to pick the number one I'd probably go with him as well just because of the way the NBA is nowadays I think everybody would maybe agree that really good defensive and uh, scoring wings is really becoming an incredibly valuable piece in, in the league uh, and can't be understated even if you're not the star that's something that can be valued so it can be valued as a star or even just as a uh, supplementary piece yeah absolutely um, so the order magic got the first pick thunder got the second pick rockets, Kings, Pistons, Pacers, trailblazers, Pelicans, Spurs, wizards are the top 10. So we will, uh, we'll see what happens on draft night. Always a fun night in NBA Twitter in the NBA sphere. So, uh, you know, we'll have more to say on it at that point. Should Indeed, we, uh, hopefully it gets spicy. Should we hop into our, um, storylines for the four remaining teams yeah so for our audience's uh understanding here what we want to do is kind of describe what we believe remaining narratives are that are possible for for the teams that are left in the playoffs and what it would mean if they were to win 
Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to add to that, James? Well, it's it's kind of a partner list with our, um, or just exercise with the previous one we had done about specific players and their legacy. But, you know, when you think about a team and the narrative around a team, there that's, you know, to go back to what I said about Draymond, organizations carry almost as much weight as, as players do in a lot of respects, um, sometimes more. And, you know, the team itself has to reckon with, you know, wins and losses. The Suns, also as an example of what we already said, that franchise is going to struggle because of what happened in this playoffs more than just maybe any one player. So we want to talk about what the team storylines are going to be basically if each team was to win the championship. Does that sound about right to you? Sounds indeed correct. Any team you want to start with? Uh, I will let you pick. Uh, there is one that I think will be the most fun, though. I'll be honest, okay. but I don't want to spoil it. Well, I think we ended with Luca last time, so let's just start with Luca again, and we'll do the maps. That's the first one I have on here. Is is that what you were saying? Um, would be a fun one. It is fun, but it is not the one I was thinking of for the most. But uh, it is going to be definitely exciting in terms of on an individual basis because I think both of us, our narratives will be almost 100% Luca. Uh, for me, it'll be proving completely wrong the whole uh, notion that you can't win off of uh, ball-dominant scores, you know, having your team run around in uh, one singular player. I think uh, in the past several years, we've seen so many instances of it. Uh, I guess one of the most frequent or recent that comes to mind outside of uh, this team would be the Houston Rockets around James Harden. Uh, and just so many people and analysts alike will always tell you to take that uh, that can't win championship. So Luca proving them wrong would, I think, immediately also skyrocket him into if he didn't even win another championship, he'd be a Hall of Famer already for proving so many people wrong for that reason alone. Yeah, I wrote down like it'd be the uh, Doncic decade. We'd basically just be pairing this is the Doncic era and that's that's how it's going to be. And, you know, really doing it without any other supporting cast. He's got Brunson and Dinwiddie, and that's about it. I mean, there's nothing else that's really going on with the Mavs. Um, whether or not it's going to happen. One thing, too, I guess I didn't. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I, I guess just one more thing to note. I apologize to cut you off there. But uh, it with Luca though, also winning a chip, it would mean that arguably the top three players in the league are all foreign players. So it would also be just like you were saying, the era of Luca. it'd be the era of foreign players when what many people consider to be the three players in the entire league are all foreign stars. Yeah. The international basically pipeline um, just continues. Although we don't have any players that are, we're in that top threshold of the uh, incoming uh, draft um, you know, potential, uh, prospects this year, you know, that's, I think that's only going to continue. And, um, you know, imagine what international scouting for these teams is compared to what it was even a decade ago, you know, completely a different game and, um, you know, really exciting for basketball just around the world. Anything else you want to say about the Mavs? I think we're covered on that, uh, Avenue, which one would you like to get next? Should we just stay in the Western Conference and do the Warriors? All right. I think this one, uh, it's not going to sound out of pocket to say that this one's all about Steph versus KD. So uh, a Warriors championship proves that though KD was a valuable member of the Warriors, he needed the Warriors more than the Warriors needed KD to have success. 
I think uh, when we're looking at what KD was able to do without him and what the Warriors are doing without him, this divorce isn't exactly even. <laughs> um, Steph, I think, will be in the long run viewed more uh, highly than KD will. Uh, and especially it shows that there are different styles of leadership that can really have success. And I kind of noted it slightly when I brought up uh, Andrew Wiggins, but having a leader like Steph Curry really shows that uh, you're allowing every single member of your team to have his day. And that's not something that every leader I think does. So it's something to definitely be uh, commended with Steph that I think he uh, more than any other star really allows each of his pieces to really shine, whether that be Clay Thompson, uh, Draymond Green, uh, Jordan Poole, or uh, Andrew Wiggins. Yeah. I think that if the Warriors win the championship, Curry becomes who, what do I want to say? What do I want to say, Bird? Top mm, uh, oh, seven oh, player it. of all say, time. Say it. Top seven player of all A time. Top seven player of all time. Wow. Wow. I, I am not ready for putting a number on that. That is, I am, I really hope maybe at some point in this show, we get to go over maybe our all time rankings because that is very interesting to hear because I'm curious where everybody else fits in that because that is incredible. Um, I don't know if I'm that high on him, to be honest. I probably would have him lower, but you know what? You, you have a case for it more than you would have if this narrative were to pull true. Maybe top eight as I'm looking at, at just players, but I'll stick it at top eight. I'm not going to, you know, equivocate anymore, but I think <laughs> you kind of said it bird the, and we already knew this, but it just to see it play out again and again and again, the warriors dynasty is Steph Curry and it's made possible also because of Steph Curry. It's not the GMs. It's not the, you know, uh, coaching as good as it is. It's not the supporting cast as good as it is. It's Curry making everything happen. He makes every player around him better. Look at Andrew Wiggins. He makes it easier on a coach because he attention so much. It, it requires so much attention. He has so much gravity. He has taken team-friendly contracts and allowed, you know, maneuvering for the GM that, you know, other star players might not. He really just throughout the entire Warriors dynasty is the reason that they are who they are and the Warriors are going to go down as one of the best teams in, you know, this era of Warriors and the best teams in NBA history. You could say that if uh, Warriors were a survivor Island, that Steph Curry is the best at playing uh, the relationships game in uh, the Warriors game of survivor. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know what's uh you know, the Warriors game of survivor. Hey, it's, it seems like it's, it's a pretty successful game for most involved, honestly. And uh, if, if it's all right to transition then off of that, I'd like to do the other end of the coin of my narrative by talking about the Miami Heat. Go ahead. So just like I was hyping up the leadership of uh, Steph Curry, I think a championship for Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat will prove that Jimmy Butler's style of leadership is indeed one of the also best uh, styles of leadership and does create success. So in toxicity, or I don't know if you want to even call it toxicity because uh, I've gotten flack for that take as well before. It might just be pure fire 
breeds success. And that man uh, would show again and again that he steps up when it matters. Um, we don't always view him very highly in our rankings sometimes because of how in the regular season, he's not always like most shining star and putting up incredible numbers. But time and time again, we've seen Jimmy Butler show up in the regular season. And oftentimes I think, including myself, I've mentioned that Jimmy Butler may may be one of the most valuable players in the playoffs uh, this, this season. So that would be something to note as well as a commendation on saying that uh, Spo may go down as, I mean, he already probably is, but just seal it as being one of the, one of the greatest coaches of all time as well. I think you're overlooking a player on the heat when you're thinking about this. I think the storyline of the heat win is that we are entering the Gabe Vincent era. <laughs> um, okay. the, the, the character arc on Gabe Vincent after being just absolutely annihilated by Anthony Edwards to being one of the better players on the heat this series has been quite interesting. Um, that being said, I pretty much echo your take that, you know, it, it all comes down to Butler was justified, right? Like I, it, that's the core of the team. That's their identity. That's, you know, what his whole mantra is about is that he can grind and work hard and, you know, just absolutely through sheer willpower, get a championship. And that, that type of ball isn't dead. And so that would be what a heat championship means, I think, to the league at large. All right. Uh, now on to the one that maybe people have been waiting for, uh, because I did say that one of them I thought would be the most fun to talk about. And this is this final one. This is uh, Boston Celtics. So Seamus, uh, we both have been watching winning time lately and it's got something in my mind, I guess. So maybe it's a little bit of recency bias or just uh, what I'm thinking about in the head recently, but uh, I think a championship with the Celtics kind of shows a rebuilding of the brand as, as we succeeded where the Lakers failed. But when the Lakers swing for the fences every time uh, and they had the success, you know, in the two thousands uh, with uh, Shaq and Kobe, when the mediocrity of the Celtics, though they did have, you know, a championship there with KG as well um, in the two thousands. Uh, but I think really it shows that a Celtics team who plays it smart and they will make a big move every now and then, but overall they're always looking at their future and looking at uh, creating a successful team time and time again, and never really tanks themselves into the ground as much as uh, Lake does while swinging to the fences all the time. So I guess to me, what I would think of the most is the brands and Celtics just, who is the true dominant brand of the NBA that has the name of success. And that would be the Boston Celtics over the uh, Los Angeles. Wow. You think the Celtics are, are basically have won the Lakers Celtics rivalry. If they were to win, I think it shows uh, at least for the era we're in now, that this is the team that's doing the right thing versus, I mean, it, look at the results. Sure. The Lakers have, uh, arguably the greatest player of all time on their team, but they also aren't in the playoffs and they're not looking like to be having a good future in the next year either. Uh, people are all talking about who they're going to have for their coach, but I think a lot of people and JJ Redick is one. And I love and agree with JJ Redick on this take that who cares what coach they have. It's not going to make them win 
it's not going to take them to a uh, championship. Maybe they get to the playoffs next year, but I don't think anybody is picking the Lakers to win a championship next year. While many might pick the Celtics to win it again next year, if they win, if they were to win this year, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, counterpoint would be that the Lakers have a championship in the era that you're talking about in the modern era, I'd say post KG post Kobe in the LeBron era, it's one Oh, but I hear what you're saying. You know, this pedigree that the Celtics have um, as a team, you know, I think it, it would be more attached to the Celtics brand as a whole um, than it would be, um, you know, LeBron's championship, because I think you can refer to it as that it's LeBron's championship with the Lakers, you know, it's also, I, I don't like doing this, but I also will just bring it up that it is also the most discounted championship uh, in the recent memory as well. Many prefer to it as the bubble chip. I don't want to do that because uh, you know, it's a chip is a chip, but that's just something to note as well as the fact that they were not credibly uh, successful before that. And then they have not been successful after versus Eastern conference finals, Eastern conference finals, or continually always being at least in deep playoff runs. Uh, when you look at the Celtics. Okay. Bird's calling bubble ship, bubble ship. He uh, says, I I'm just bringing it up there. I'm not saying I fully agree with that take. I'm just bringing it up. Yeah. Well, I, I think what I'll say is just with the Celtics that, um, Basically, it would just reaffirm the notion that a top to bottom team philosophy, team building philosophy, is how you win games in today's NBA. It can be offense, it can be defense, it can be, um, you know, a, a combination of both in certain aspects. But you need to be like the Warriors and have an alignment you need to be like the Celtics and have alignment on defense you need to be one of those types of teams and it'd be the counterpoint to the Doncic and the Butler um, storylines is that we've confirmed once again that these are the teams and I think you can say that with the Bucks when they won last year I think you can say they they had an alignment that we're building around this single player and everything about our system is going to be built to make that succeed you need to have you can't just put pieces together anymore um, and I think the Celtics win would, uh, would further establish that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Couldn't agree more. Well, I think that that about does it for, for this episode, bird, anything else that you want to say before we head out of here? Uh, just that I'm right and you're wrong and prepare to wear a Jersey. What neither, Jersey? Neither. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what Jersey, what Jersey? Uh, I think make me wear? did I already... I believe I brought this up on the show uh, and I'm, I don't know for sure, but if I didn't, I'll say it now, I guess. Uh, and it's Jimmy Butler. I think uh, it'd be hilarious that living or, living or dying by Jimmy Butler winning that series. Uh, it really is the kicker and decider, I think for both of us in terms of who uh, is going to win. So him being the decider, I will be also hilarious for you wearing his jersey well all i gotta not say not to then, mention all the baggage as a, as a tim rose fan yeah i mean that's the part that's really the part that would get me i think but it won't happen because the Celtics are going to take care of business so uh i'll be following intently i hope everyone else is as well and having some fun with um 
championship series. We'll get to find out who the Magic Johnson and Larry Bird awards go to for the first time. So that'll be exciting as well. Um, but until then, um, we'll catch you next time. Talk to you later, everybody. I can tell you already, Magic Johnson going to Steph Curry. All right. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Bye.